Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Well, church, it's a great honor to be here with you this morning. Uh, love coming on the 1st of January and getting just to open up God's Word, but also to worship with you as a church. It is, uh, it is truly a blessing and something I look forward to each and every year. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at a passage in Romans chapter 8. And I know that as a church, y'all have a verse. And this year, your verse is John chapter 9, verse 4. And that verse, of course, says, we must, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as we talk about work, I want to look back at our time of worship even this morning. The reason that we work on behalf of the Lord is because he's our father. We are his children. And there's a special relationship between children and their parents, children and their fathers. I remember when my children were much younger and I would come home from work and invariably they would be waiting on me and excited for me to come home. And even as we sing, even so come, we are God's children who are excited about him coming. We want to see him. We want to be with him. We want to rejoice with him because he's our father. And certainly as we talk about work and the importance of work, we work not because it's a labor, but because it's a joy, because we're doing it for the one who has brought us into his family. But in the same way, my kids, as they wait for me to come home, they have other things they have to do. They can't just sit by the door. And, and even scripture tells us we, we can't, we've got to be ready for the return of Christ. We've got to be expecting the return of Christ. But we can't just be sitting around. We've got to be spreading the glory and the gospel of Christ. And so I hope this morning that even as we look at the sanctity of life, and for many of you, you, you may not know this is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Uh, this week is actually the March for Life in Washington, and I get to go to D.C. this week. Uh, I'm not going to actually be at the March for Life, but I'll be at all the events and, and meetings going up to that. So this is the week that we celebrate God's gift of life as believers, but as we also advocate for life. Uh, that's what this week is. But it's also Orphan Sunday, a Sunday that we've set apart to say, how do we care for the vulnerable? How do we care for the fatherless? And how do we care for families who've lost their kids to the foster care system? How do we love on those families and how do we love on those children? And this morning, what I want us to do is why? Why is it important? What's our motivation? And I want us to see from Romans chapter 8 that our motivation comes from the fact that we are children of God. We know how to care because we've been cared for. We know what it means to be left because we were orphaned until Christ Jesus came. As he said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come for you. And this morning, I want us to know we have a crisis. We have an orphan crisis and a crisis of vulnerable and the crisis of life in our community. There are 153 million orphans in the world. And I hope that will sit in on you. That's half of the U.S.'s population around the world are orphan children who have no family, no belonging, 
153 million orphans. Right here in the United States, we have 420,000 kids in foster care. 420,000 kids who have been separated from their parents and live in foster care. And this year, it's believed that over 40% of the live births in the United States will be born to unmarried women. We have a crisis. We have a crisis among us. And the Lord has called his children to work. He's called his children to be agents of reconciliation. He's called his children to be the ones that go in and love on the vulnerable, that care for the fatherless, that adopt, that foster, that, that come alongside and speak up and advocate for the most needy in our country and in our world. But this morning, I want us to understand that the motivation is that we are children of God. And that's what Paul says in Romans chapter eight. He says, you are no longer slaves, but you are now sons, children of the most high God. I love what Sinclair Ferguson says about this idea of spiritual adoption. Sinclair Ferguson is a professor at Redeemer Seminary in Dallas and a Scottish theologian. He says this, he says, the notion that we are children of God, his own sons and daughters is the mainspring of Christian living. Our sonship to God is the apex of creation and the goal of our redemption. Therefore, this morning, if we want to understand who a Christian is and why being a Christian is a privilege, then we must understand and accept and appreciate divine adoption. You see, we earn the seed of the promise through Abraham through adoption. And even this morning in my Bible reading, I was reading the, the promise given to Abraham when God said, if you can count the stars, so you will be able to count your offspring. Beloved, we are one of those stars. We are one of those offspring, not because many of us are from Jewish heritage or Jewish birth, but because we've been adopted by God into his family through spiritual adoption. And our adoption papers, they're sealed by the blood of Christ, which means this is not a, a God who adopts us and then says, ah, eh, I'm gonna leave you behind. But he says, I am bringing you into my family and no one, the gates of hell cannot prevail and no one can snatch you from my hand. So it's with that introduction, if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter eight, starting in verse 12. Paul says to the church at Rome, so then brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. For all who are being led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back again into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation wakes with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So this morning, three ways that you can know, that you can confirm that you are a child of God. The very first one is that the Holy Spirit leads us to hate and war with sin. 
Notice verse 13, it says, you no longer live according to the flesh, but you now live by the spirit and you put to death the deeds of the body. By the Holy Spirit's power, the children of God are constantly warring and putting away sin. We all have fallen short. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've all failed. A sinner that does not know Christ Jesus as Lord and Father continues on sinning without any remorse. A child of God, when they sin, they have conviction that leads to repentance. When we are children of God, we begin to, the things that break God's heart begins to break our heart. We begin to to see that the things of this world that are breaking the heart of God, when children are abandoned, when children are neglected, when children are aborted for convenience, it begins to break our heart because the things that break our father's heart begin to break our heart. But it's not just the sin outward, it's also the sin inward. The things that we do, the hurt, the lies, the, the, the remarks we make about another image bearer, it begins to break our heart. It begins to bring us to repentance. We become grieved and convicted and we repent that sin has so contaminated us. You see, when we are a child of God, we're broken by our sin. And the good thing about being a child of God, beloved, is as we're broken, we know that we have a father that will restore us. I love what Paul says in Psalm 51, his lament after he had, had sinned with Bathsheba. He comes before the Lord. He knows who his father is, and he's broken by this sin. He's, he's broken by transgressing against God's law. And this is what he says, verse one of Psalm chapter 51. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. But don't miss these next words. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter as snow. I remember as a child, the worst words that my mother could say I'm gonna tell your father what you did and just wait till he gets home, right? Maybe many of you heard the same words and, and it really wasn't that I was afraid. I didn't wanna disappoint. Beloved, when God is our father, we don't wanna disappoint him because we love him and he's so much more glorious than any earthly father. And it's at this moment that I realize in a room this size with people, there may be some of you that have a horrible relationship with your earthly father but I wanna tell you that your heavenly father, he is kind and patient. He is loving and merciful. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is holy and righteous. There is nothing in him that is wrong or hurtful or deceitful. He is perfect. And even though we look at our lives 
And even when we see his holiness, as Isaiah said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he couldn't even stand. When, when Abraham wanted to see the glory of God, God said, you cannot see it. And he, he, he shielded him from the glory of God because if anyone saw the glory and the holiness of God, they would but die. And that's our father. And yet he says, I'm coming for you so that you can have a relationship with me. And when we come into a relationship with him, the things that hurt his heart, the thing that, that come against his perfection and holiness begin to break our hearts. But secondly, the second way that we can know and confirm that we are child of God, first we begin to war and hate sin, but then second, the Holy Spirit seals our adoption as sons and leads us to cry out, Abba, Father. Just like a child is not going to go around a store tugging on every man and going, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. A child, even at a young age, knows who their parents are. They recognize their parents. If we are children of God, we begin to recognize our Father. We begin to cry out to Him. We have intimacy with the Almighty. And this, is, this word Abba is like baby talk, right? It's, it's like daddy. It gives us assurance of God's love. There's an intimacy with God. Just like a baby doesn't ever doubt or question the love of their parents, Right? Some of our teenagers, you may sometimes go, mom and dad, why are you doing that? That's not really what's for my best because I know better than you know because you just were born yesterday, right? And, and you don't have any idea what's best. We may start to doubt our parents, but a baby doesn't doubt their parents. You don't see a toddler going, hmm, mom and dad, do you really know what you're doing? As opposed to they trust their parents. And like toddlers, we come before the Lord and we say, God, I trust you. You are good. You are holy. And there is intimacy. And here's the good news, beloved. You can call God daddy because he's given you the rights, the position, and the benefits of Christ Jesus, his one and only son. And we don't have to work to earn God's favor. Even as we talk about work this year, we work not to earn God's favor, but an overflow of his favor. Not because we have to, but because we get to. We have the opportunity to serve him. Abba is a word that has deep affection and deep trust. And I don't know what you're going through in this room. Sickness, pain, the loss of a loved one, trouble at work, fear of the unknown, you have a daddy that says, cry out to me. I love what John Piper says about the word Abba. He says, these words are not cheap, computer-like production. Rather, it's the Holy Spirit himself speaking through us. The Apostle Paul's choice of the Aramaic word Abba indicates that our cry will be sweet, tender, and intimate. And his choice of the word cry shows emotional depth of sincerity, an earnest longing of our Father. You see this word cry that we see Paul use here is a word called krasdon, and it is a cry full of emotion. It is a, it's a loud cry. So beloved, if things are tough, you can cry out loudly to your Father. And here's the promise, he's gonna listen. He hears you when you cry. He runs to you in your need. He knows what you need. As our children cry out, they know that we will listen and respond. But as we even look at orphan and vulnerable children, one of the hardest things I've experienced in 20 years of serving the ministry of Lifeline is that many times children who are orphan and vulnerable, they don't cry out. They don't cry out because they don't think anyone will listen. I remember one of the first families that I heard would tell me this is their child who they had newly brought home through adoption fell down the stairs and was bloody came up to them, 
had, had said nothing about being bloody or had fallen down the stairs. And they look, they, they wrap their child up. I'm like, what happened? Why didn't you call out for us? And the child, in only the best way that they could say, basically said, well, I didn't know that you would come. I remember one of the first times I went to a, one of the largest orphanages in the world about 19 years ago, I expected it to be crazy. There were over 2,600 kids in this orphanage and in one room, 500 beds with babies. And I thought this is gonna be the loudest, most sensory overload I've ever seen. And the most deafening sound in that orphanage was silence. Children had learned not to cry because they didn't think anyone would ever come. But beloved, this morning, if you are a child of God, you have a father that will come. When life is tough, when life is hard, don't stop crying. He is present. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. He is your father. Cry out to him. Loud, intimate, cry out to God. And beloved, I don't know if you feel like this. It's some of the hardest times. Why do I just find myself going, Daddy, Father, help? The passage says it's the Spirit of God reminding us who we really are, the children of God. But then third, the third way that you can have assurance that you are a child of God is this. The Holy Spirit gives us confidence and boldness as heirs of God to suffer with Christ. It might have been a left turn you didn't, you didn't expect to suffer with Christ. If we are children of God, then we will suffer with Christ. Look again at Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see, we are true heirs of God if we begin to suffer with him. This doesn't mean that we look for suffering. We're not like a Japanese kamikaze pilot that's just looking for something. But when you're a child of God and you begin to work for God and stand up for God, you will see that there will be suffering. People don't understand the hope that you have. People don't understand the convictions that you have. This last week, I was at Chick-fil-A or Windshape in Rome, Georgia. Um, if you've never heard of Windshape, Windshape is the foundation of Chick-fil-A that they started to create winners. And Truett Cathy believed we want to shape men and women into being winners, Windshape. And so if you've never heard of Windshape, it's a foundation of Chick-fil-A. If you've never heard of Chick-fil-A, I don't know how to help you. Um, just look around, eat more chicken, that type of thing. Um, but I was there and in a room of about 40 ministry leaders of, of orphan care, foster care ministries around the world and people who had literally flown in. And these were supposed to be organizations who were, had a complete biblical worldview that were committed to God's word and God's standard. And I was asked to do the final charge for this group. And the only thing I knew to tell them is do not compromise and do not shrink back. Because the truth of the matter is 20 years ago when I started doing this work, it would have taken a much bigger room to hold all of those who were holding to a biblical standard and working with foster care and adoption in the United States. There were over 500 that would have been in the room and yet there were only 40. Why? Because many have compromised. Many have shrunk back. It's not popular to hold true to the standard of God. 
It's not popular to hold true to God's way and to God's word. The world wants to twist it. And when we stand firm, when we stand strong, we will suffer. But beloved, don't shrink back because remember the other promise? You can cry out to God in that suffering. Do not shrink back. But not only will we suffer, we'll also be disciplined, right? When I go into a store and I see a child pitching a fit, I typically don't discipline them. I don't pick them up. Uh, you know, I don't say, hey, buddy, what are you doing? Let's not act like that. It's not my place. I'm not their parents. On the other hand, when my child pitches a fit in a store, I'm going to discipline them. We know that we are God's kids when he starts to discipline us so that we will be better at the work, so that we will do the things of the kingdom, so that we will look more like Christ. This is what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 13. He says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So beloved, when we suffer, we cling to Christ. When we're disciplined, we know it's for our good and for his glory, because ultimately it's all designed to help us to lean wholly on him and to be more like him. And as his legitimate children, children of God, we have been called by the gospel. We've been called by our Father to spread his glory and to spread his gospel by acts of gospel-driven justice. Caring for orphans, caring for the poor, caring for the vulnerable, the least of these, the pregnant mom. It may cost us our comfort. It may cost us our peace. It may even cost us our earthly security. But these are commands that were given to us by our Father. And so we go in boldness, we go in courage, and we go in great conviction. Beloved, we need courage. Many of us will not be killed or imprisoned for our faith, but we need courage. When people are mean to us, when people speak out against us, when they are rude to us on social media because of our beliefs, we must stand firm. With Christ, there is a cost, but there is a much greater reward. So let us not work begrudgingly. Let us not sit by with apathy, but with great passion and urgency, let us work for the kingdom of God to show the orphan, the widow, the vulnerable, our neighbors, the glory and the goodness of almighty God. I love what John Piper says about apathy. He says this, apathy is passionless living. 
It's sitting in front of the television night after night and living your life from one moment of entertainment to the next. It's the inability to be shocked into action by the steady state lostness and suffering of the world. It's the emptiness that comes from thinking of godliness as the avoidance of doing bad things instead of the aggressive pursuit of doing good things. People who stay at home and watch clean videos, they don't get persecuted. Godliness must mean something more public, more aggressively good. And beloved, that's what we've been called to do. We've been called to work for the kingdom of God, to put a taste of the kingdom of God on the lips of those who are perishing, to show them the goodness so that they can taste and see that the Lord, he is good. When we care for vulnerable families through Families Count and we bring them into our church and we pick them up and we feed them and we teach them and we love them and we mentor them, we're showing this world that we believe there's something far greater at stake. It's not just that these families get their kids back. It's that they come to see the God who loves them, who pursues them and can truly satisfy their souls. And as we end, I want you to also not just see the evidences that you are a child of God, but I want us to see four benefits of being a child of God, being a legitimate child of God. The first that we see is acceptance by God. Verse 15 tells us we did not receive a spirit of slavery, but we received a spirit of adoption as sons. We have been accepted by God. The gospel tells us who we really are, messy sinners who fall short of God's glory of perfection. It shows us that we are messy fools. Oh, but the gospel is good because it wasn't our goodness, it wasn't our works, but it was the grace of God. I love Ephesians chapter two, verse four and five, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together by Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Beloved, this is the good news of spiritual adoption. Just like an orphan today around the world, they're not marketing for a family. They're not going on Facebook or Instagram or the top tick one. They're not doing any of that stuff, right? And, and putting out an advertising and saying, I need a family. They're waiting. They have nothing in and of themselves to attract someone to them. They're waiting. And beloved, that's who we were. There was nothing beautiful about us. We weren't putting out you know, these little listening devices on our iPhones so that we could put advertisements out. No, God pursued us out of his great grace, out of his great mercy, out of his great love. You are fully accepted if you are a child of God. You don't have to work to earn favor. You don't have to do something. You don't have to have all A's so that God will go, okay, I'm pleased now. And our work is an overflow of our acceptance. God accepts us. He loves us. He cares for us. And so we go and we show that great grace to others. But not only do we have acceptance by God, we now have a new identity, a primary identity in Christ. You see, once we become adopted, we begin to imitate our big brother, Christ Jesus. We begin to look like him. We begin to, 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 to act like him. But also here's the great important thing. God doesn't see our sin anymore. He sees the perfection of Christ. 
We're not seen any longer as a, an escaped convict or, or someone that had good behavior and went on parole. No, our record has been expunged. When they look at our record, they don't see, hey, he had good behavior and he's out on parole. They see innocent, blameless, ideal citizen. When we are in Christ, our identity is like our big brother, Jesus Christ. That's why 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. We see it throughout the Bible. Baron Abram becomes Abraham, the father of many. Peter or Simon, who was a self-reliant, brash denier of Christ, becomes Peter, the rock on whom Christ would build his church. And Saul Saul, the persecutor of Christians, who in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, was breathing out threats and even asked for permission to go and imprison Christians, becomes the greatest evangelist the world had ever known. You see, beloved, we have a new identity in Christ. We have a new name. We are now seen by the Father as he sees his perfect, unblemished son. So we have acceptance. We have a primary identity And then third, we now have belonging in the family of God. We are now one in Christ. We have more in common with the family of God than we do our biological families who deny Christ. Oh, beloved, that is the the good news is we work not alone in silos, but we work together as the family of God. We lift one another up. We, We lift up one another's burdens. We have a family. So let's act like family family that has been redeemed, family that that loves the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. We need to keep one accountable. We need to encourage. We need to be there in the greatest times of needs. We have a family. And through our spiritual adoption, it tears down barriers of race and culture and class and socioeconomic level. And we are a multicultural, diverse, multi-ethnic family that bears the marks of the image of our creator. Oh, how beautiful is the family of God. I love as I travel, even around the world, that when I meet brothers and sisters from different nations and ethnicities, that there's an instant kinship. There's an instant bond. It's not like strangers who look different, who have different languages, but there's an instant connection and bond because we are a part of the family of God. And we work because there's still family members that need to be claimed among the nations. We still have family that need to hear of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's an urgency in our work as children of God. So we have acceptance, a new identity. We have a family. But then last and certainly not least, and what I want to leave you with, is we also have the abiding presence of our Father. God is present. He is near to us. He is a refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. For parents of young children, you would not leave your young children home alone. At least I hope you wouldn't, right? And so when they cry out, they know that you're going to hear them. In the same way, when we cry out, we know that God will hear us because he is present. And if you have your Bible still open, if you would, and turn to the very end, to the next to last chapter in your Bible, Revelation chapter 21. I want us to read these beautiful words that John the Revelator records at the end of, of his revelation. 
He records these words of, of the fulfillment of all things when, when God comes and makes all things new. And at the very end, what we're going to see is at the end, when all is done, when there is no more crying, no more shame, no more tears, and Christ has come with his kingdom, I want you not to miss in verse 7 the beautiful words that John the Revelator records. Starting in verse 1, Revelation chapter 21. This is what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Don't miss verse seven. And the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. Beloved, at the very end, the relationship we have with God is not a stranger. It's not his ruler, although he is ruler. It's not his king, although he is king. It's his father. In my office, when my kids come to visit me, they don't have to go to the front desk. They don't have to have an appointment. They come to my office. Why? Because I'm their dad. Do you realize the presence and the access we have? We have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because he's our daddy. We don't have to have an appointment. We don't have to check in with reception. We don't have a, a set time. You have 30 minutes. You have access, you have presence, you have acceptance. He is our father. And so when we work, we're hard to discourage because we know who our daddy is. He's the king of kings and Lord of lords. And we work knowing that our work is not in vain because our daddy is the king of kings and Lord of lords. And he goes before us and he is present and he is faithful. No matter what you're going through, no matter what life has handed you right now, Know that you have abiding hope and confidence that the sovereign king of the universe is your daddy and he is present. Beloved, you can have assurance that if you for sure are a child of God, the reality of adoption changes your perspective on how you operate. And so we care for the orphan, not because we're trying to get medals or because we're trying to impress, but because we wanna show the love of God. It has so radically changed us. We care for the vulnerable woman who's going through a crisis pregnancy, not out of judgment, not out of pity, but out of the mercy and grace of our Father, who when we were broken, who when we were alone, when we had fallen short of his glory, came to us and loved us with his abiding presence. We go because we've experienced the gospel, and we go in order to make the gospel known because it's our family. It's, our, it's the truth 
We are children of God. We work in this day, not because we're working to make an income, working to fill up barns with stuff, but we do it because we're working for our daddy. And that's the best type of work. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. You are so kind to us and gentle to us. Lord, when we are yet sinners, it says that you died for us. When we were insolent and rebellious, you came to us. Not when we were attractive, not when there was something to esteem us, but because of your great mercy and love. Lord, I thank you for this church. I pray that you would continue to use them for your gospel and your glory. I pray that Northport Baptist Church would be a beacon of light to this community. I pray that you would use this church to bring others to your saving grace. God, I pray that you would use our family here at Northport Baptist to reach our neighbors for the love of Christ. I pray that you would help that, that to reach out into our community, that the community of Tuscaloosa would come to see the love and the mercy and the grace of Christ. But Lord, I pray that we would go, that we would go to Jordan and we would go to the other most ends of the earth to make the gospel of Christ Jesus known, not because we're trying to be the best, not because there's some command, but because you're our father and we go. We're your kids and so we go. And Father, I pray that this family, as we begin to, to go on action, as we begin to urgently do the work before us, I pray that we would lean on one another as the family of God, that we would support one another, that we would weep with one another, that we would laugh with one another, that we would celebrate with one another. Because we're the family of God, redeemed by your blood, redeemed by your grace, that are able to stand because of your gospel. It's in your great name that we pray, the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music.